Thank you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, we're continuing our major series in keys of spiritual development. What are the elements that we need in our spiritual life in order to grow and become mature in Christ? Last four messages, we have focused on the Word of God and how essential it is that we uh, are regularly and consistently uh, in the Word, reading the Word, studying the Word, uh, memorizing the Word, however you do that, hiding it in our hearts, building it into our minds as a, as a way of um, transforming our thinking and bringing us under the control and guidance and discipline of the Holy Spirit because He has that resource available. Uh, you cannot grow as a believer if you are not in one way or another uh, building the Word of God into your life. And that's true even of uh, cultures that are oral where they don't have books. And maybe they don't even have a written copy of the Scripture, but in those cultures they tend to uh, you know, tell stories and uh, pass things along verbally and they have good memories that way, and they build the Scriptures into their lives. That's how the Jews in Jesus' day learned the Scriptures. Uh, they didn't carry scrolls around with them. Uh, they didn't have pocket scrolls to put in their tunic, you know, about this big. Uh, but they learned from their parents and their grandparents and in the synagogue, and they built the Scripture into their lives so that it was ready to mind. Well, this morning we move to the second one. This is the only Sunday that I'm going to spend on this. I think uh, most of what needs to be said can be said in one week. But uh, we want to talk about the importance of corporate worship and Christian fellowship. Uh, one of the keys of spiritual development is getting together regularly with the body of Christ. You know... In our country, um, perhaps of many nations and uh, Christian uh, nations where Christians live, in our country we may be the most cavalier about the importance of gathering for the assembly. We have the freedom to do that whenever we want to do it. Uh, we can get in our car, hop on a bike, take a stroll. <laughs> And end up in a church and uh, come anytime we want to, uh, daytime, evening time, and get together to spend time together as fellow believers. And yet, uh, in America, we have some of the most uh, casual and indifferent attitudes as believers about gathering together in the assembly. Now, I realize this morning as I speak to you about this subject, it's kind of like preaching to the choir. You know, one of the, one of the hard things about uh, preaching on being part of a, a, attending church and being part of the public worship is that you're always preaching to the people who are there, and you already got it, you know, and the people that need to hear it aren't here to hear it, but maybe they'll get it online or maybe you can uh, whisper it in their ear, you know, hey, there's a good message you need to listen to. Uh, on the internet or something like that. But anyway, uh, so I realize that. But at the same time, it helps to have that reinforced in our lives. Perhaps 
as a young person, you went to a Christian camp and some youth pastor somewhere uh, one evening around the campfire. You always have campfire, bonfire to Christian camp, right? I mean, that's just like, you got to have that and, and s'mores and whatever else goes with it. And uh, perhaps you were at a Christian camp and one of the speakers took a log out of the fire and set it over to the side. And people always wonder, you know, what are they doing that for? You know, you're supposed to put logs on the fire. And uh, it set it off to the side. And eventually the log would kind of go out and start to smolder. And, of course, you know the illustration that uh, was coming was that if you take that log out of the fire, the first thing it loses is the fire. The flame dies down. And you're left with a glowing uh, piece of wood. And then after a little while, the glow goes away. And you're left with a tendril of smoke. And if you let it sit there long enough, even the smoke stops. And by morning, it's a cold log that stopped being consumed by the fire. Uh, It lost its passion, so to speak. That is essentially what happens to us as believers if we remove ourselves from the the passion of gathering in the assembly and being with the people of God. And so, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, if you'd like to turn there, Hebrews chapter 10, one of those letters in the New Testament toward the end, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 23, the writer of Hebrews says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, we've studied Hebrews as a church family on a number of occasions, in one way or another. And you've heard me talk about the background of the letter to the Hebrews. But just by way of reminder, these were Jewish Christians toward the latter portion of the first century, probably in the 80s, 60s, late 50s, early 60s, there was persecution developing in the Roman Empire toward believing Jews. They were finally recognized as not really being part of the Jewish community any longer because the Jews had rejected them, those that had remained uh, in the heart of Judaism, had rejected them. And so they were kind of uh, on their own. And in Rome, in those days, if you were not part of a sanctioned religion, you were considered an atheist and subject to persecution. And so these uh, Jewish believers were outcast and illegally practicing a religion according to the Roman Empire, and they were under persecution. You know, in many places of the world today, that's exactly what's still happening. 
that the cost of getting together to worship together is very high. I remember a number of years ago uh, hearing from someone who was visiting in China after it opened its borders again to visitors from the West. And they were visiting in China and one of their hosts was going to take them to a house church that evening. And in and of itself, that was difficult because you kind of had to shake your official guide in order to get away from them and be able to go and visit this house church. And when um, they got to the front door of where the house church was being held, they could hear singing in a whisper. And, and the guy turned to his Chinese friend and said, what is that noise? And he said, they're singing. But they were doing it in a whisper. Because they couldn't afford to hear, have the noise go beyond that immediate area where they were gathered. Otherwise, they would be arrested and put in prison and persecuted, probably tortured. And the leaders usually are imprisoned for a very long time because they gathered. And yet, and yet, they were taking the risk on a regular basis to get together for the purpose of worship. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. For the purpose of corporate worship, it is essential that we come together. And as difficulties arise and times get tough, we're even more encouraged to get together. When the risk goes up, it's even more essential that we come together and spend time with one another. Now, he says when we do this, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. I asked the question uh, in the 8 o'clock service. I said, how many of you right now, this minute, and so I ask you, how many of you right now, this minute, are encouraging each other to love and to do good deeds? Right now, this second, how many of you are doing that? Oh, none of, yeah, I am. <laughs> I am. And, and, and Sandra Leonard, bless her heart, she's always on top of it. She said, we are just by being here, you know. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that one. But it's obvious for the most part that we cannot come together in this service and accomplish all the purposes of meeting together. You know, in, in the New Testament um, period of time, some of the things I can tell you about that culture, and it's, it's true of a lot of the rest of the world. Uh, we who are in the Western world, Europeans and Americans, we have a tendency, time is, you know, we've got to be right on time. Ten o'clock means ten o'clock. Not five after, it means ten o'clock. 
You have an appointment at the doctor's office, you know, and there's usually a sign-up. If you're more than 30 minutes late, your appointment will be canceled. You're going to have to pay for it, and uh, you have to reschedule. You know, we, we, we have that kind of punctuality in mind. And I have exactly one hour for this service now, and at 10.30, I'm supposed to be done. But it wasn't that way in the New Testament period of time, and it isn't that way in most places of the world. In fact, um, 10 o'clock means anywhere between a quarter till 10 and 11.30. There, uh, I remember my district superintendent telling us uh, not too long ago he was um, visiting one of our Nigerian churches in the Midwest District. And um, he was staying at the home of the pastor and his wife, and uh, he asked before he went to bed on Saturday night, you know, when is the service in the morning? And the pastor said, well, at 10 o'clock. It really was 10 o'clock, and uh, ours is 9.30 now. I know that, in case you're wondering. But um, he said 10 o'clock. So, so John said, you know, I got up the next morning uh, and got ready. About 8.30, I got up and I got ready, and I was in the kitchen, um, you know, having a cup of coffee because uh, he had told me I could help myself. And he said, I kept looking at my watch, I kept looking at my watch, and he said no one was showing up. And he said about uh, 10 o'clock, the pastor comes wandering down to the kitchen. And he said, I thought you said service started at 10. Oh, Brother John, that, that's, that's just what we say. You know, when we all get there, we'll be all right. And so he said, by the time they wandered, this is the pastor, he's not ready to go yet. Um, by the time they all got there, it was about 11.30 when the service got underway. Well, it would last about three or four hours. And then they would start to wander back to their homes. Many cultures are much more like that than, than we are. And in the New Testament era, many of the services were of that nature. They did more than simply sing and preach in the rather tightly allotted framework of time. But what we do, and this is important for us to understand because it's not particularly right or wrong, it's just different. And what we do is in the public assembly on Sunday, we have what we call the public service where we sing together and hear the proclamation of Scripture. But that means that you must allow other times to get together informally to talk about the Scripture's to encourage one another, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's why when we changed to three services on Sunday morning, we extended the snack time and coffee and whatever downstairs. And by the way, you don't have to have food and coffee to fellowship. It's kind of nice, but you don't have to have that. But the reason we opened the downstairs was because it's important to hang out for a bit. It's important to stand in the back and chat. It's important to 
communicate with one another in order to get into each other's lives. The writer of Hebrews says, when you come together, make sure that you consider how to stimulate, give thought to how to encourage one another to real love and to doing the kinds of things you ought to be doing. Because if you don't come together for that purpose, you're going to be like that log that's off to the side. It is not possible to grow and develop spiritually without Christian fellowship. You will grow cold. It's just inevitable. You will grow cold. You need that time together. You know, one of the things that um, I missed, and I, and I think uh, perhaps we overdid, I'm not being critical here, I'm just kind of sharing my heart. I think one of the things we overdid was emphasizing that after I got out of the hospital, I needed rest. And uh, I needed the ability to kind of recover in quiet. Um, because, surprisingly enough, I had very few visitors. And I find, I found that I began to miss seeing you all. I needed to have the fellowship of believers coming around and just having that interaction. And like you say, I'm not being critical because I, I realize that, that it was hammered home pretty clearly, you know, that, that Paul needed his rest and be sure to call and, you know, find, and all of that was true. But by the same token, uh, I found myself yearning for the fellowship of my fellow believers. We need each other. We need each other. And we need to come together for that purpose. And the writer of Hebrews says, the tougher it gets, the more you need the fellowship. You know, one of the, one of the realities, for example, of depression is that when people get depressed, they naturally withdraw. It, it, it's just a component of that problem. And you tend to not want to be around people. As a matter of fact, you know, I, I am aware in times when I'm battling that darkness of depression that I tend to feel that I'm a drain on people, that I'm a drag to them. And, and as a consequence, you know, emotionally, uh, there's some part of me that says, back away and don't be a burden. But the truth is, most people are not even aware of it. That's something that's going on inside of me. That's not a happening out there, you know. And so, as a consequence, in times like that, you need to get together even more. You need to make yourself get involved in the body of Christ. When you're at one of those low points in your marriage. I've known couples that um, have struggles. And one of the first things that they want to do is back out of church. Because, well, they don't want to 
bring their problems to church and, and they don't want to, they don't feel like seeing anybody. There's never a time when you need the fellowship of believers even more. When you're going through a difficult time at work and, and you're struggling with whatever your job is, you need the fellowship of believers. I don't care how tired you are. Because the tougher life gets, the writer of Hebrews says, the more we need to spend time together. It is absolutely essential. The second passage of Scripture I'd like to call to your attention is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. What do you do when you get together? What do you do when you get together? 2 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 and this is the second part of our outline this morning, come prepared to be a participant. Come prepared to be a participant. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Now, you realize that the Corinthian problem, one of them, poor Corinth, that had a lot of problems, uh, but one of the problems at Corinth was they were like over-the-top, uh, wild and crazy charismatics. Okay? Um, I'm not being critical here of necessarily um, spiritual gifts, but these people were over the edge. They, they were um, more into... Uh, obvious supernaturalism than they were in anything else, and they were doing nothing but causing confusion. So Paul brings this up in the context because it's one of their particular problems. He says you, you might have a tongue or an interpretation, but then he kind of digresses and he says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three in each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. There are a couple of things going on here in this passage, but, but some of them are important that we understand. Well, they all are, but I don't have time to preach the whole passage this morning. But what Paul is saying, first of all, is when you get together in the assembly, be available to God to be a participant. Some of you have a psalm. What is he saying? We can make that analogy to our Bible reading for the week. Maybe you were reading in the Scripture, and a passage of Scripture really gripped your heart. It really stood out to you. It was very special. And God really showed you something, and you want to share that. For many believers in the New Testament, the most common scriptures for them to have 
in their heart and minds were the Psalms. So one of you has a psalm. One of you uh, might have a teaching. Uh, You were thinking about the Scripture and studying it, and God began to explain it to you, and you learned something new, and you came ready to share it. One of you might have a revelation. This is... Kind of like the prophetic word as you're praying and thinking about the assembly. Um, The Holy Spirit gives you insight into maybe a problem you've been facing or some other kind of thing. And you want to share what God has shown you. When we come together, friends, we should expect God to show up and supernatural things to happen. I don't mean that water's going to become wine every Sunday or that you're going to go walking across someone's swimming pool instead of swimming. I don't mean that. But what I mean is God should be present and He should be doing things that are beyond our ability, that go beyond our capacity that move into our lives in powerful ways that are supernatural. Because we have a supernatural God. And our faith is a supernatural faith. And we should expect that. We should expect God to act. And you should expect God to use you. And if there is not time in this service, that doesn't mean we're done. There are other opportunities. There's small groups. There's, there's visiting together. There's uh, prayer meetings. There's opportunities through the week. There are times as believers to come together expecting God to do the unusual. You know, when someone comes to me for counseling, I, I don't rely on my training and background in Christian counseling. In fact, I don't really think about that at all. If you tell me you have a problem you want to come talk over with me, I begin praying about your visit before you get there. And when you sit down, here's what I'm asking. God, show me what you want to say. Give me insight into what you want to reveal. Because I expect God to be present and to do something supernatural. And I've had some of the most amazing things happen in counseling appointments because God is the wonderful counselor. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who does the work. So, you might have something to bring. Now, Paul says, and and this is important because some people don't understand this. Paul says, when you have something to bring, wait your turn. Let things happen decently and in order. Apparently what the Corinthian church was doing, and perhaps you've been to churches like this. I know I have. Everybody's crazy. They're doing all kind of, they're all talking, they're all doing this, they're all do, they're moving around and everything's going on and it's like, wow, what is happening here? You know, and 
Paul says, let it be in order. God is not the author of confusion. I'm not talking about you can't get excited. You ought to get excited about your faith. When you're at a football game and somebody makes a touchdown and everybody in the stands stands and claps and roars and shouts, that's in order. They're all doing the same thing at the same time. You don't see anybody running up and down the bleachers. Well, not too many. For one thing, you can't move usually. But that's in order. There are times when that's in order, (laughs) even in the assembly. But nonetheless, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What that means is, is that when you get an impulse from God, it doesn't mean you have to jump up and dive in. You can still wait for the appropriate moment to share what God's put on your heart. Because the fact that the Holy Spirit revealed it to you, or put it on your heart, does not mean you have to act instantly. It means you now have something to contribute in the right opportunity. And that is under your control in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. There is an order to the movement and activities of God in the midst of His people. Come prepared to be a participant. And finally, in the last passage of Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'd like you to look at that. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is ministering uh, the Word of God and bringing leadership to the church in Ephesus at this time. And uh, there have been false teachers in Ephesus. And Timothy has been having a tough time correcting the heresy that is affecting the church. He's trying to bring them back to the focus of truth. And so Paul writes to him, prescribe and teach these things. That's what he's been saying prior to this verse. And then he says to Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity... Show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance, with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. The focal verse is verse 13. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. A component of times of gathering for corporate worship as the body of Christ must include the proclamation instruction, explanation of the Word of God, and the challenge to be obedient to it. And for this reason, God has given in the church teachers. That's a part of His plan. 
There are those who are gifted and anointed to be teachers of the Scripture. And He gives them to His local congregations, to His body, for the purpose of helping that group of people develop spiritually by explaining the Scriptures, that's the teaching part, and challenging us to be obedient. That's the exhortation. To follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people uh, often want to downgrade the preaching of the Word as if that is not a key part of the service. But the way that we're structured and organized in the time that we afford on Sunday mornings in our public assembly, this is the time we set aside in the corporate gathering for the preaching of the Word of God. And it's an essential part of spiritual development. Someone came up to me after the 8 o'clock service and said uh, that they had recently heard uh, someone say, I don't have to attend church because we have such a a good time together um, visiting and uh, sharing together in, in our small uh, groups. Well, that's okay. But sometimes when you get a group of people together, all about the same age, all about the same level of development, and no one is any further down the path than they are, what you have is pooled ignorance. I don't mean to be tactless, but that's, that's often the way it is. Sometimes you just get together and share your ignorance. And as a result of that, there's no growth. And so God gives to His church teachers who are anointed and equipped to teach and explain the Word of God and to exhort people to obedience because it's a part of the assembly. We need to have that happen on a regular basis. In fact, I would make a case for this, and I'm not one of those people that goes so far overboard that I would say that it is wrong to have focal ministries, like women's ministries or men's ministries or children's ministries or youth ministries. It is appropriate, I think, to have those. But we also need to play together, all of us. Men and women, children, young people, we all need to be together because everyone is at a different stage of spiritual development. And I'll tell you what, sometimes you just need to have those kiddos around, don't you? Those little children. Just Just to remind you of how simple and delightful and blessed life can be, you know? I love to watch little kids that just have nothing on their mind but just playing and being happy. And uh, they do the cutest things and say the craziest things, as Art Linkletter once observed on a regular basis. But you also need the people who have been walking with God for 40, 60, 80 years who can communicate the steadfast commitment and the long term devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need people 
who are old enough to have wisdom and young enough to still have energy (laughs) to help drive the church. You need all of those people together to develop the body of Christ. We are a family. We are a family. And we will grow most efficiently when we grow as a family. And so the writer of Hebrews says, don't forget, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And when life gets tough, you need it even more. You need to make that special effort because you need one another. You need to keep your log in the fire. You need to stay burning brightly. And you won't do it by yourself. You need the encouragement of the assembly of the church of God. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Encourage us in it and through it. Again, Lord, I realize often with these kinds of messages, we're, as the saying goes, preaching to the choir. But I pray, Lord, that you would enable us to encourage one another and those who are not here for whatever reasons, good or bad, that we would encourage them to make a priority of being in the assembly for the purpose of corporate worship. Father, for those who are shut in of necessity and for those who care for them who are, for those who have other uh, difficulties that make it impossible at a particular stage in their life, for those believers in other countries who are in prison and solitary confinement because of their faith in Jesus Christ and cannot assemble, Lord, give special grace. Give the own sweet presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, make yourself known to them in a season when it's not possible to follow this teaching. And for those of us, Lord, who may treat so casually the wonderful privilege that we have in the way that only you can do with both love and grace and deep conviction, chastise us. Let us value highly the time we have together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.